0: to uh, take you in a little short series in Psalm 119. But before we go any further, uh, let's pray. Father God, we uh, come to you and we ask for your help. We ask that you would help us to hear from your words, Lord, that it might not just uh, land on our minds, but Lord, it might sink into our hearts, And Lord, I ask for your help to proclaim your truths clearly as I ought. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, over the next two Sunday evenings, we're going to be dipping our toe into Psalm 119. Uh, For those who who like quizzes, uh, here are some factoids about Psalm 119. Uh, This is the largest psalm. In the, in the book of Psalms. It is the same length as the book of Ruth and James and Philippians. Those are a couple of books we've studied recently. Um, it's also a psalm that is formed as an acrostic. Uh, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet start, starts each section. And as you open your Bibles up, you'll see that. It also has eight Uh, Verses in each stanza, and they always begin with that Hebrew letter. Uh, The psalmist also uses eight words that get repeated throughout each stanza, and they are words to describe God's word. Now, for those of you who are familiar with this psalm, uh, it probably uh, triggers some reaction like this, that it's very repetitive, he just seems to say the same thing time and time again. Read your Bible, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day. That's what he seems to say for a long time. What one uh, writer has described this psalm as is a, is a bit like watching scenery along an interesting road trip. You glimpse lots of things in your passing, but, well, you just mostly remember the, the, the long drive. Well, another way we tend to think of this psalm is that it's, it's about this perfect Christian who reads his Bible all the time. He, he has always has the right answer. And that irritates us slightly if we're honest. Well, my hope, hope is we take our, this, this little dip into this psalm and, and as we take it at a cycle pace, that we'll start to see that this psalmist is much more like us than than we think. He is a man who's all too aware of his sin, and he is being hounded by his enemies. I think what the purpose of this psalm is, is to show us what it means to live by faith in the arena of our own sin and afflictions. One writer summed it up like this, the pattern in Psalm 119 is, the psalmist, I, your servant, talking to you, my Lord, who speaks and acts, whom I need and love. That's what he, he, that is a good summary of the psalm. Well, we're going to tip, dip our toe in, um, right in the middle of the psalm. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm, uh, to verse 81 of Psalm 119, uh, And we'll read that in a minute. And what we're going to be doing over these next two, two Sundays is reading, we're going to start with this section, uh, calf, and then we're going to do the next section next week. Now, I have to give you a warning. You remember when you sometimes watch the news or uh, a documentary and they have to say, uh, I, we have to warn you, there are some gruesome images coming up you may want to avert your eyes. Well, the section we we're going to read tonight, it is a dark place. And there is not a lot, of, a lot of light. In fact, it is, it is it's predominantly darkness. So I just want to warn you that it's going to be uh, darkness tonight. And uh, let, let, let me read, and you'll soon see why I say that. This is the psalmist. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your words. My eyes long for your promises. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me, and they do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehoods. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I might keep the testimonies of your mouth. Let me tell you about two friends of mine. Uh, These people don't come to this church, but um, a number of years ago, uh, they wanted to start a family. And uh, from the moment they tried, uh, a year quickly passed with no, no baby to show. Well, this, this didn't panic them. This didn't get them down too much because they knew that, um, that it, took, uh, it could take a while to, to become pregnant. So they, they kept trying. It got to the point where they thought, well, we better uh, go to the doctors and just check that everything is Okay. So they, they went to the doctors and they were, uh, he did his checks and then uh, they were referred to the fertility clinic and more tests ensued. Nothing was found to be wrong and so they kept trying. But each month always was met, always was met with sadness. There was no result. And pain was deeply forming in their lives. It was that point in their lives where their friends were starting to have families. And everywhere they looked, they were reminded of how they couldn't start a family. How they longed for a family. And that pain just kept intensifying. Even my friend sitting on the bus, seeing the parents with their children, burned within her, her longing for a family. well, that pain is a bit like the psalmist here. He longs for God's salvation. And he's just constantly being met with no answer. See in verse, it's worse. See in verse 85, the psalmist is being attacked. The insolent have dug pits for me. There are people out there setting traps for me like they would capture an animal. Verse 87, they have almost made an end of me on earth. Well, you can sense the despair of this psalmist. He's at his end. All he's left is his prayers to his gods. Well, what makes this, this psalm dark is that there doesn't appear to be any light at this tunnel, end of this tunnel. The rescue does not appear to come by the time we get to the end of this section. And what is hard is during these times of suffering, it's not so much what, what the suffering, is it's much about the, the length and endurance of the suffering. It just goes on and on and on. A bit like my friends who, who desire to start a family. The pain just keeps going on and on and on. Well, tonight, I hope to introduce you to the psalmist and his pain and hopefully see God's comfort in the psalm. Uh, the psalmist begins by expressing his heartfelt longing for God's rescue. Uh, the writer of the psalm tells us twice of this, uh, longing in verse 81 and verse 82. I've just put on the screen, sorry, I, I read from the ESV, and I should have told you that. I've put on the screen the, the translation of the ESV because uh, it just translates it slightly better, because this is acrostic and because the Hebrew writers are using the same letters, when we translate it into English, we lose some of that. And this translation just captures it just a little bit better than the NIV. So you see there in verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. And he repeats it in verse 82. My eyes, they long for your promises. Straight away, we're met with this, the psalmist's longing. Well, many of us here tonight uh, might be longing for God's rescue. We might be in pain, and we might be prayed time and time again for God to, to rescue us. And it appears that his, his answer never comes. Well, I've not endured suffering like this psalmist has endured suffering. And my hope is that I can introduce you to this psalmist who knows exactly what you feel like. Here is a man who's absolutely exhausted with longing. He is weak and he is undone. The psalmist, like us, is not immune to the crushing blows of life. And as we follow Christ, it does not preclude those trials. Many of us here tonight may be enduring trials and feel like the psalmist no help is coming. Where is my God? Well, as we, uh, so let's, let's think about why this, what this, rest, this longing is. Well, we've seen there's this vivid sense of distress and sinking vulnerability. However, I would imagine that there are some people, <laughs> I'm longing for God to act, but I don't feel him. I feel like I'm at the my end. That is what the psalmist feels like. And the question in our minds is: Is will God come and help me? I think the Sam is like is like a boat moored in a storm, and as we see this boat shake back and forth, we are wondering ourselves: Will the ropes hold? Will they snap and this boat be swept into the ocean and crushed? Well, let's think about whether this, these ropes will hold in the Sam. So what does the psalmist long for? Well, notice again in these first two verses, they parallel up. He longs for God's salvation, and he longs for God's promises. He's longing for God, I think, not only to come and rescue him now from those who dig pits for him and who are longing to crush him, but he's longing for God to come and save him, that final judgment. He talks about promises there. And so can I ask you to flip in your Bibles to Second to, to Samuel chapter 7. We need to ask ourselves, what are these promises? What is he longs for? Well, all out through the Bible, that God has made promises. And, and here is one of the biggest promises God makes in the Bible. Um, he's making this promise to, this, to David. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, then you need to know that David was one of the greatest kings of God's people. And here, we find God making this promise to David. Let me read it to you. So this is Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took from you, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you whenever you have gone, and I have cut, cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the great men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they can have a home, of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not, shall not oppress them anymore as they did as the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your rest with rest with your fathers, I will raise you up your offspring. To succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men. When floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him, as I look it will away from Saul. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Here we see this promise that God makes to David. He promises a place of rest, a rest from his enemies. And that rest comes from this, this one who will come from David's offspring and who will rule this kingdom forever, a kingdom that will endure forever. And as we read in our Bibles, we discover that this person is Jesus. He is the one who will come to bring rest for for David and all his people. Well, in the New Testament, we get these words from Paul. He says that Christ is is the amen to all God's promises. So the promises that God made from David, we're told in the New Testament, are the promises that Christ fulfills. So as the psalmist longs for God's rescue, he doesn't just long that God will come now. He's longing for that day when God will bring his enemies to an end. The psalmist does not know that Christ is the one he longs for. But he knows that God has promised to send the Savior Christ. And he knows that the people of God will not have salvation until the enemies are, of God are judged. See, a day is coming, the psalmist looks forward to when everyone will see this God's justice and will know beyond a doubt that it's perfect and fitting. That is what we have seen in the psalm and that is what the psalmist is waiting for. He longs for that day when all his enemies will be taken away and judged by God and he'll be brought in to God's kingdom and enjoy his rest forever. That's what he longs for in in that section. Well, I want to turn and consider what does it mean to live in this pit of suffering? What is it that keeps the Samus moored and not broken away and crushed by the storms? Well, do you see in the middle of those two verses, first two verses in 82, at 81 and 82, there's this little phrase, I hope in your words. And amongst all his longing, all he's got to, hope, all he's got to hold on to is God's words. I hope in your words. The place that the psalmist has chosen to locate himself is in trusting in God's words. See, he doesn't take the matters into his own hands. He doesn't go after his enemies and fight them, nor will he seek revenge. He doesn't retaliate, retaliate like them. He doesn't sow lies like they are showing lies about him. No, he trusts in God's words. And that is a remarkable place to stand. What it is to put your whole trust in God's words and not in your own ability to take control of the situation. See, this psalmist comes to God, and he has nothing to offer him. His suffering has exposed everything. He says at the end of the psalm, in your steadfast love, give me life, that I might keep your testimonies of your mouth. He comes to God, and he says, only but you can give me hope and life. Well, I I want to show you two things that we can do when we long for God's rescue, when the suffering is so intense and we see no light at the end of the tunnel. Two things, and that is trusting looks like remembering. And we'll come to the second one in a minute. Trusting looks like remembering. Or to put it more starkly, what does faith look like when you're having the stuffing knocked out of you. Well, it looks like talking to God and not to ourselves. See, one of the striking features of this Psalm 119 is the psalmist's personal conversation with God. Did you notice, just notice, just notice in this section, the number of times he uses the word I and you and your and me. In other words, the psalmist is making this personal prayer to God. Uh, one of the psalmists, uh, one of the commentators of the psalm, describes the whole psalm like this: "I talk to you about what your words mean in my life." If you went home tonight and you to read the whole of Psalm 19, you would see this pattern emerge in almost every verse: "I, you, your, my." I talk to you about what your words mean in my life. See, trusting involves talking to God about our pain and our suffering and asking him what his words mean in our lives. But that's not often our instinct. Our, often our instinct is to talk to ourselves about our own suffering. Uh, let me try and retell this psalmist to you as self-talk. Let's try and remove God from his conversation. And let's just listen to what the psalmist could be saying to himself. I feel rubbish. Why hasn't God come to my aid? His word can't be trusted. He never seems to do what he says he will do. He may have kept his promises long ago, but I don't see any evidence of how it's, or how, I don't see any evidence of it now. I've been so poorly treated, and God is nowhere. He has left me to die a miserable wreck. No one cares. The only attention I receive are from those who are trying to Finish me off. My friends don't care. The only words that are spoken of me are the lies that are told about me. I've done everything God has asked of me, and all He seems to do is withhold life from me. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound how we often talk to ourselves about our situations? Often we talk about, we have self talk going on, we have this conversation with ourselves. Well, this psalmist tells us, in the midst of suffering, this longing for God to come and rescue, he talks to God. He has this personal conversation about what's going on in his life right at this very moment. See, this psalmist helps us get out of this conversation we have with ourselves and into a conversation with the one whose opinion really matters. Here's the second thing, trust what trusting in God's word looks like. It looks like remembering God's covenant words. See that in verse 83? He says, I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. I, in every verse, the psalmist uses a word that describes God's covenants, And I've just highlighted them on the screen there in, in yellow. Every verse he refers to some aspect of God's word. So, verse 81, he describes just God's word generally, the things that God speaks. We've already seen God's promises, what he has promised. Uh, verse 83, uh, he talks about statutes and decrees, what, is, what God has made binding and permanent. Verse 84, we come across God's judgment the decisions of God, the judge, and his express way of running the world. Verse 85, we come across his instructions or his commandments. Um, in verse 86, his commandments, God's authority to give orders and expect them to be obeyed. And verse 87, his precepts, words that God is appointed by with, with authority verse 88, we see the psalmist refer to God's testimonies, a word that bears witness to God's faithfulness. All through this psalm, we have the psalmist right in focus all that God has said and all that he has done. Well, these words are called covenant words, and they describe the relationship God's people have with them. I think about a wedding ceremony, uh, there's a point in the, in the service where the groom and the bridegroom say their vows to one another. They make promises to each other about what they will do for one another. So these are familiar words to many of us, to, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish, to death do us part. That's a kind of covenant. That's a, a, a bridegroom and a, and a bride. Telling each other what they're going to do for one another. Well, in the Bible, there is there is a covenant, and it acts like this, except it's all about what God is going to do for His people. We've already seen a kind of version of that in the in in uh, Second Samuel that we read, what God promises to do for his his uh, King David. But the striking thing about this covenant is that he he makes it with. people who are not that attractive. You see, we normally choose people to marry who are attractive and who we are interested in spending time with. Well, God chooses a people who end up being people who grumble and moan, and they go off to other gods. They are adulterers. This is not a a good, uh, attractive group of people. There are people very much like ourselves, and yet we see in the Bible God's covenant love that he uh, says he's going to make a covenant people And these are the things he's going to do for them. Well, the psalmist is remembering all that God has promised he's going to do. He's remembering God's covenant words, which are graceful, grace-filled words. See, I think these are the ropes that keep the boat moored safely. As the psalmist remembers all that God has said he would do, it gives him security The psalmist tells us that when in this darkness of suffering, we must be active at remembering. Um, in our, our house, uh, uh, well, my wife loves to watch that program One Born Any Minute. You seen that program? I think it's on a Wednesday. Well, it used to be on Wednesday night. It's, uh, it was, it's an awful program because it's just uh, wailing and screaming, and and partners, male partners particularly, saying really stupid things. Um, but there was this—I caught one of the episodes, and there was this really lovely story about uh, this this woman, Tricia, and her husband, Stephen McHale. Um, it was it was a beautiful story because this couple had been trying to have a, a, a baby for, for over twenty years, and this was the moment the baby was due. And what we learned about Tricia was that she had, in her in her teenage life, had been involved in a very bad car accident. Um, to the point where it left her with lots of disabilities. And one of the disabilities it left her with was... uh, she struggled to remember things. She couldn't remember things very well. And one of the things she was anxious about when when this this child came along was, how is she going to look after it? Would she remember to do the things she needed to do to care for it? And so what her husband Stephen had done was, all through the house, he had written instructions and notes to remind her what she needed to do. So fill up the bottles and add nine teaspoons of of food. Uh, When to do certain things. All through this house, there were these post-it notes and stickers that reminded her of how to care for her child. Well, we need to be like that. We need to have reminders about what God has done for us and what he's going to do for us. Because those are the things that are going to keep us steady in the trials of life. But there's nothing remarkable about these words, these covenant words. They not only keep us moored, but they also bring us close to God. God's covenant words bring his presence. The psalmist is, is in this pit of suffering, but God is there with him, present in his words. His words bring meaning and purpose to his suffering. Uh, back in, uh, in one of the early books in the Bible, in Deuteronomy, we, we find these words. Uh, talking about God's God's covenant. Uh, and this is what he said, for what a great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him and what a great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all of this law that I set before you today. Moses is telling his people this law and he's saying as we hear this law and as we live it out, it brings God close to us. That's the difference of remembering. If we remember what God has done for us, as we remember his words, it is God being near to us. He is living. It's a living word. So what does this look like? What does this look like in the trials of life? What does it mean to live and endure this pain of suffering when we can't quite see the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, it forces us to To see that we have nothing that makes us depend on God. This psalmist in this suffering learns that he cannot bring anything to God. He has to depend on God. And it forces him to remember who God is. So what what does this faith look like in a workplace where you're known as a Christian and no one is speaking to you because of that? Because you're known because you're known that you're not going to bend the rules so that things get out the door a lot faster. You're not going to cover up the mistakes that are made and have to be reported. What does it mean for that to be in that situation, where it endures day in and day out, and there is no hope of getting out this job? Is there any comfort as a Christian when we're being hounded by our enemies, who make life difficult for us? Well, I think this section of Sam helps to see that there's things we can do. We can talk to God about our personal situation. And as we remember God and all that he's done, he gives us the power and strength to endure. What about school? I remember being in school. I grew up as a, a pastor's kid and known for being a Christian. And that often would bring uh, harsh words. You'd be the butt of people's jokes, um, It'd be a quite a cruel environment at times to be in. How does the psalmist help us, help someone in our school life who is standing up for a Christian and yet is getting teased and, and kicked and shoved and ex- excluded from all the, the action in the playground? Well, the psalmist reminds us that we can talk to God, that we can be honest with God about how we feel about a situation. And we can explain to him how our enemies are, are going after us. And we can remember God's words and know that he's near to us. And know that he gives us the strength to endure. This part of the psalm tells those who are longing for rescue and are behind our enemies that we're in good company. It's, it's good to know that the Christian life is not all about happiness. That there are times in life where there is much sorrow and hardship. And we, we don't feel like singing. We feel like the world is heavy. And that's what great, is great about this psalm. Because it tells us that the things we feel in life are the right things to feel. to feel. So, just as we end, I want to give you one thing to do this week. Get a bit of paper or a post-it note. And write down on that post-it note or bit of paper the things that you are struggling with and fearing and the things that make you feel anxious. Write them down so you can see them in front of you. It's helpful to write things down because it starts to to get you to see things. So as you write your struggles and and the, and the, the things you're going through in life, when you read your Bible, have that post-it note next to your daily reading. And as you read your Bible, ask God to bring his word to bear on those situations. To make his present felt in those times of suffering. That is, the psalmist knows God's word and that's what gives him life. Next week, we're going to be looking at the next section. And he comes out of this darkness. He comes to see the, the brightness of God's word. And that's what we're going to be thinking about next week. So because the psalm is a lament, I didn't want us to sing a happy song at the end. Because that kind of undoes the, undoes the psalm. This psalm wants to get us to think about the suffering and the pain in life. And so what we're going to do at the end is the musicians in a moment are going to play just some music. And I want you to either pray for the the suffering and pain in your life. Or if you know people who are suffering and are going through hard times, pray for them. Uh, Think of those who are in the persecuted world who this situation is very real. Pray for them. So that's what we're going to do in a moment. But you may leave here thinking, Oh, I wish we'd sung to to lift our spirits. Well, I think that's a good thing because that that helps us to understand and feel something of the pain and suffering that sometimes people feel when they leave church. Sometimes, I guess, people leave uh, with heavy hearts and they long for life. Well, it'd be good to just have a sense of that tonight as we leave. A sense of what it must feel like to be like the psalmist. So um, I give you those two challenges uh, one, to pray for those in suffering, and one, just to have that, that sense of feeling what it is like to be, uh, to be like the psalmist. So this, the musicians are going to play for us, and uh, when the music stops, I will pray, and that will be the end.